So if you could pick any ideal sponsor for the podcast, what direction would you go in? Well, um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, products like Adidas and uh, Oakley. Oh, yeah? And, uh, and uh, Mahomes Magic Crunch. <laughs> Is and, there any through uh, line there through all three of those brands? State Farm, I think, State uh, Farm, of I think that would be a good one. Uh, yeah. You know, those, those are kind of the ones, you know, maybe, maybe like Madden. Um, <laughs> am, I, am I just listing off all of the things that sponsor Patrick Mahomes? Maybe. Do maybe. I want to be on a poster with It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom with you, me, Patrick Mahomes in the middle, raising his hands up, got the Lombardi on it. Maybe, maybe, dang, maybe that would be pretty sweet. I was, uh, I was thinking it would be my, it might be fun to be sponsored by Wolf Cola. You know, they're, Cola, they're yeah, a little of bit course. of a public relations nightmare, but they, uh, they get the official the job soft done. drink of Boko Haram. Yes, exactly. But they did not do nine 11. So we're good. They did not. So everyone get that straight. Uh, or, you know, maybe fight milk, maybe kitten mittens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to fight like a crow. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of fun options out there. Uh, but just so everyone's aware, I have a big giant beard and I found a sponsor to help me shave my beard. Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. It's not very sunny in the world that we live in, but it is sunny in Chief's Kingdom. Welcome back. We are going to go through quite a bit this week. We've got uh, some takes on what's going on in the world, kind of uh, the protests, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, and how that relates to sports and relates to the Chiefs. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you've heard some of those takes already, but we are going to dive into that a little bit. It's uh, certainly something that we're not we're not excited to talk about, but um, it's something that we gotta we gotta touch on for sure. We're going to talk a little bit of news. There was a little bit of uh, news on Chris Jones this week. We've got Chiefs Patriots recap of that game from the regular season, a thrilling win in Foxborough, so that'll be fun. And then at the end, Taylor, we've got a little roast of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. People love the roasts. What do you got for us before that, though, Taylor? It sounds like maybe you teased a little bit of news there in our, in our little uh, back and forth at the beginning. Yeah, you know, when, uh, when you become a big deal in the podcast world, people, uh, people reach out, you grease some wheels, you shake some hands, and eventually... You're, you're wooed. You, you get wooed, and you build some stuff out <laughs> of wood, and, and eventually you get a sponsorship. And so... We are excited to announce that from this point, we will be sponsored by Manscaped, which is a a male grooming product. And we'll have more information next week. We're still awaiting the products from Manscaped. We've got to test them out so we can give you our testimonials. Exactly. They're going to give us the products, which is great of them. Uh, We're going to have a discount. You're going to finally be able to shave your beard. Finally be able to shave my beard, which I have not shaved since the start of COVID. So it's been extremely long and I've been looking for a good solution for that. They are also um, 
they specialize in, in crotchal area stuff. And I, I know way too many people personally on this to probably go into many details about that, <laughs> but uh, trust me, they have everything, any hair that's grown on your body. They've got something that takes care of it. Um, we'll have a 20% off discount code called sunny in KC. And if you shop on their website on manscape.com and use the promo code sunny in KC at any point, you can use it multiple times. You'll get 20% off your order. They even sell cheap stuff on there. And every time somebody uses our Sunny and KC code, it helps the pot out. So we're going to be talking about that quite a bit. If you could toss some support our way, if you're looking for any sort of clippers or whatever the case may be, go to Manscaped, use Sunny and KC. You'll get 20% off. We'll get some you know great promotional stuff from Manscaped. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. And in, like you said, it really is just, uh, it's helping us put on the podcast. You know, if, uh, this thing ever gets big enough, you know, maybe we'll be, uh, roasting Eric Mangini live instead of just talking <laughs> about him behind his back. I don't know what his appearance fee would be, but, uh, you know, that's what we're building towards. So we, Boy, appreciate, that would be fun. we appreciate everybody helping us out with that. Uh, on a heavier note, um, obviously if you all have been paying attention to the news, you're aware of what's going on in the country right now. Um, protests related to uh, police violence in Minneapolis um, with the killing of George Floyd. Uh, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes each issued statements on this. I mean, pretty pretty much every public figure, every person of note kind of issued a statement on that. And I wanted to read um, Pat's statement, and Taylor, I'll have you read the Chiefs statement, just so that we can kind of dive into some of the things that come up with that. So I'll, I'll start, and this is what Patrick Mahomes posted on June 1st. First, I send prayers to the family and friends of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey. As I have watched everything that has happened over the last week and even before then, I have tried to put my feelings into words. As a kid who was born with a black dad and a white mom, I have been blessed to be accepted for who I am my entire life, but that isn't the case for everyone. The senseless murders that we have witnessed are wrong and cannot continue in our country. All I can think about is how I grew up in a locker room where people from every race, every background, and every community came together and became brothers to accomplish a single goal. I hope that our country can learn from the injustices that we have witnessed to become more like a locker room where everyone is accepted. We all need to treat each other like brothers and sisters and become something better. Let's be the world where my little sister, generations to come, and even my future kids will grow up never having to experience these tragedies and instead love each other unconditionally, love and unite, hashtag justice for George Floyd. Love that guy. Yeah. Uh, here's from the Chiefs Kingdom, or from the Chiefs. It starts, Chiefs Kingdom, this week was scheduled to be the culmination of the Relive campaign, the end of a journey we started in March, celebrating our Super Bowl 54 championship run. We will continue to relive the pinnacle of last year's historic season soon, but we believe our collective attention should be focused on the important conversations that are happening in our country. The senseless murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery are a grievous reminder of the inequality that exists in our nation. We all have an opportunity and a responsibility to advocate for change. Part of the mission of the Chiefs is to unite our community, and we need unity now more than ever. We will get back to bringing you updates and an inside look at your team in the days to come. But for now, we encourage you to listen to, learn from, and most importantly, love one another. So we got a, we got a question from a loyal listener, All Juice. We're going to need a different name for it than uh, yeah. Therese's podcast. But <laughs> our, our version of All Juice, Vitamin J, uh, 
had a, a reader question for us, um, which I think is a good prompt for kind of the discussion we're about to have. In these tense and tumultuous times, how are Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid the answer to the many problems we are facing? And I think, I, I mean, it's a little bit tongue in cheek and we appreciate that as always vitamin J, but it really is, it's important, I think, to talk about what our sports heroes are talking about. And in the context of, you know, social justice and what's going on in America, I really do think like, I, I mean, we saw people like Logan Paul of all people, the YouTuber, I've never watched any of his YouTubes, but I mean, you know, he's got a platform and he's out speaking out about this, you know, actors, actresses, athletes. And, you know, this isn't the United States of a hundred years ago. Um, you know, we have the internet now and it's not, you know, the voices that we hear and that we put stock in and that we listen to aren't necessarily our politicians. And thank God for that. Um, you know, it's not like, we're exposed to one or two voices on a national stage. Now everyone with a platform has a voice. And I, I mean, Patrick growing up the way that he did, I mean, obviously, you know, he, he, his dad was a major league baseball player. I mean, he, he certainly socioeconomically certainly I'm, I'm sure had a very comfortable upbringing, but he was raised in a biracial home. And I thought what he had to say was very thoughtful. And I thought really, I, I it's funny because that same day that he posted that there actually was an article that somebody wrote, you know, trying to capitalize on the hot take culture, you know, asking where are the voices of our black athletes and in particular our black quarterbacks. And I think like an hour after I saw the link to that, I saw Pat's statement and I think he just knocked it out of the park. Like, you know, if you're somebody that is struggling with why this is happening, if you find yourself disagreeing with it, I'm not going to tell you how to believe, but if you're somebody that looks up to and res respects Patrick Mahomes, which obviously you all better. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, like you, you better. Yeah. That man walks on water. I would just urge you to think really hard about what he's saying and to think about ways that you can, you know, help spread that message. Yep. Yep. I completely agree. Um, more Patrick Mahomes messages, less Drew Brees messages would be <laughs> ideal uh, for anyone who happened to miss that. Drew Brees Wednesday was trying to uh, trying to answer a question honestly, as you know, I, I, Brees is a good guy. He's always been you know great for his community and, and a stand up guy, and I have no problems with him as a person. But he put his foot in his mouth and said he will never ever agree with anyone who disrespects the flag by kneeling. And that's just, you know, his grandfather's fought in the war. So, you know, did, did that whole thing. And like, that's just, it's not productive. It misses the point. It has no awareness. It, it's just not what is appropriate right now. And, uh, you know, so, so while Drew Brees' wide receivers are roasting him on Twitter and talking about how ignorant he is and all that stuff. Pat just does the same thing that he does on the football field, which is be perfect. And he answers this type of issue, which is really hard with just a lot of grace. And, and he has the perfect perspective. He, you know, he has the mixed race family yet he has, and he has the mixed um, locker room culture that he's grown up in and at the same time, he speaks to people from that 
all across both James Kingdom and the NFL that, you know, can look to someone like him as a young superstar and let him lead. And he's just such a natural born leader. He's, he just knows everything to say at the right time. And I was extremely proud of the statement. I thought it said everything that needed to be said without being too over the top or flowery or anything like that. Like he just, he just cut right to the point and it was great. Yeah. He, he knocked it out of the park. I I really can't say it any better than he did. I would just end by saying, you know, Patrick Mahomes is black and Chris Jones is black and Tyreek Hill is black and Tyra Matthew and Frank Clark are black. You know, so many of the sports heroes, you're listening to this podcast because you're a fan of the chiefs. You're a fan of all of those players. And, you know, I know there's a, a, there's a pervasive opinion among people that maybe don't agree with this movement or don't grasp this movement that, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to listen to a pop star or an athlete, you know, to get my, my takes but these are people that you respect for their conduct on the football field. And frankly, I think this locker room, I mean, vitamin J was asking about Pat and Andy. I mean, I don't know that Andy's released a statement personally, but if you ever listen to him talk about Hmm. his locker rooms and, you know, he would never, I don't know that he would ever address this directly as directly as, as some of the athletes themselves might, but he, he certainly, you know, he's, he's presided over those locker rooms and I know he's a person that, um, that supports their, he's a player's coach. Yeah. He's a player's coach and he gets it. And I know he's talked about before, you know, um, what some of these guys have faced and, uh, and, and frankly has a reputation. We've talked about it before on this podcast for, you know, giving guys second chances that maybe didn't grow up in the best environments. And, you know, it's not hard to imagine if things had gone a little bit differently, the world we live in, they could have been, dead or in prison because yep. of the society that we live in. And thankfully instead they're winning Lombardi's for the chiefs, but, <laughs> but we need to think about the people that aren't winning Lombardi's for the chiefs. And yeah, for sure. And thinking about Andy's relationship, just with a, a handful of NFL players that everybody recognizes like Mike Vick or Shady McCoy or Deshaun Jackson, or, you know, any of these people that he has grown a tight knit bond with, you can just tell that he understands them that he understands them as men, that he understands, you know, he, he, he hasn't been through the things that they've been through, but he sympathizes and he's just a really, um, he's the same type of guy as Pat where, where he won't put his foot in his mouth about something like this. He will speak from the heart. He will say exactly, you know, the type of thing that you would hope your head coach would say about issues like this. And, and, you know, like you said, it was a little tongue in cheek. How are Pat and Andy going to get us through this? But like, they will. They're they're the types of people, the yeah. leaders, the 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 you know heartfelt, connected leaders that people need to hear from right now, and yep. and they're well positioned to do it. And I'm thankful that they are both members of Chiefs Kingdom, and not only members but the the pillars, the the foundation of the entire kingdom. I mean, they're Pat and Andy's it. Without those two, we don't have Chiefs Kingdom right now, and it's just. I'm I'm very, very happy that they're on our side. We all appreciate sports as a distraction. And I know there are people that would prefer that we and everybody else stick to sports, but that's <laughs> not, that's not the reality that we live in. 
do they stick to their jobs? <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't understand the stick to sports narrative. I never have. It's because um, because this is kind of a little bit of our identity on this show, and I don't think I'm going to get a name drop John Elway. Um, when, you <laughs> said, when you said Andy was never going to put his foot in his mouth, did you catch what Vic Fangio said? I did. How, how, how I didn't think there was racism, there in the NFL. racism in the NFL. He had to walk that back today. He did. He did. So, but – you know, um, Vic Fangio and Andy Reid are basically the same age. Yeah. And our head coach would never say something like that and would never need to walk back something like that because he knows what he's doing. And so that that bodes well for us, both on the field and off. Uh, let's turn the page on this. Um, obviously a sobering topic, but one that we felt like we had to cover. There was a little bit of news. You want to do our news, 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 house, house. <laughs> okay, so the news this week, and it's been a while since we've done the news drop, uh, which yeah, just goes to never, show you there hasn't been any news. Uh, there hasn't been any news for like weeks. Yeah, uh, this barely qualifies, but a couple of little blurbs from the past week. Sam Mellinger reported that the Chiefs were beginning negotiations with Patrick Holmes, and like I, I guess they're formally negotiating starting now, which is great. Must be. Yeah, um, and. It would set new precedents. Yeah, right. The, I the mean, contract would. it's going gonna, it's gonna to be crazy. And then the other kind of big off-season story that, you know, we keep bouncing back to is Chris Jones. Ian Rappaport reported that he has not had any conversations with the Chiefs since they placed the franchise tag on him back in March. Um, I think it was March, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, late mm-hmm. March. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that he's not participating, apparently, in the virtual off-season, which um, – Andy had said that everybody, they had full participation. And I think Andy was playing a little word game maybe yeah. with the people asking that question because people never directly asked him if Chris Jones was participating. So full participation from the people who were present, which did not include Chris Jones. And so this is starting to become, I don't know, what's your, what's your, what's your level? What's the DEFCON level at with Chris Jones right now? So I have an optimistic possibility here. My optimistic possibility is that players don't like to do training camp and, and off season workouts. And I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not necessarily a joy for veterans is what I mean. You see all the time how guys try and get out of it and, I think there's a chance, however slight maybe, that the Chiefs are throwing Chris Jones a bone and saying, hey, let's just forget about the contract for a second. You, you chill this offseason. You don't have to come, and, and then maybe we can extend you after. I don't know. It, it seems maybe a little um, sunshine and roses, but I think that he wants to be a Chief and they want him to be a Chief. And if they haven't talked about it, I would think that it's because both sides have an understanding, but that's kind of my, I have to like, I'm trying to fit a round peg into a square hole here and try to figure out how, how it could be a possibility that the second highest pro football focus graded pass rusher last year in all of the NFL hasn't even had a conversation with the chiefs after they franchise tagged him. It just doesn't really, it, I, I have better faith in the front office than that. I am a little concerned. And yeah, I mean, I'm concerned, yes. I, just I have to... you know, he went on Cowherd after they placed a franchise tag on him. Yeah. And he was not super happy. Not happy. Him. And apparently all. they have not talked since then, which is a little bit concerning. But, you know, I think 
it, it's got to be a really tough situation for the Chiefs to kind of walk because obviously they had to do some some cap jujitsu to get where they are now, which is they have enough money to sign their draft class. They've got their rainy day fund for the season, which we know they like to do. And that allows them, you know, to make pickups like Mike Pinnell last year, like Terrell Suggs, who both ended up being, you know, pretty important pickups down the stretch, Stephen Wisniewski. Um, you got to have a little bit of extra money in the tank. They could still free some cap space up, but you know, I wonder if, I mean, this, this to me, the question now is, you know, if they're going to, they can either sign Pat and sign Chris Jones, in which mm-hmm. case they can reduce Chris Jones's cap hit at least because it won't be the franchise tag number, which I think is 17. Six, 16.4. Yeah. yeah. So they could reduce his cap number and Pat's is going to go up as soon as he signs his extension. Cause he's going to have a huge signing bonus and you know, his, his salary for this year will go up as soon as he signs his extension and everybody expects that to happen. So I'm actually not even certain. I think I read somewhere that if the Chiefs were to sign Pat to an extension with Chris Jones on the franchise tag, like they can't do it. Like <laughs> I, I don't think it's possible for them to just the nature, the length and the size of Pat Mahomes contract is going to, you know, they're, they're going to have to find some money if they want to get that done this off season. I think it's possible that they could like basically agree in principle and then not sign Pat until next year. But yeah. I don't think they want to do that because no. You know, I mean, obviously, he's the most important athlete in the history of Kansas City sports. They want to get him locked up. Well, why would you let him go further and right. go nineteen and zero and win another well, Super Bowl, which right, is what's exactly. going to happen? I totally, mean, he, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you know, from Chris Jones's perspective, honestly, playing on the franchise tag is not a bad deal. I can see why. I can see why pre-COVID he would have been pretty pissed off about that. And make no mistake when the Chiefs franchise tagged him, this was right when this was all getting started, right? Like yep. we didn't, yep. it, it wasn't, they everything couldn't have wasn't locked down. They couldn't yeah. possibly have foreseen this happening, yeah. right? And so he was pretty upset about the franchise tag. Now, you know, there was a serious question about whether there would even be a season. Yeah, He's going to get paid $17 million. That's an awful lot of money. And he still gets to be a free agent next year, or he can resign with the chiefs, you know, like it's not the worst thing in the world for him to play a year under the franchise tag. So I'm still optimistic. You know, we, we had the, the mini holdout kind of last year. Now, obviously he was still under contract this year. He'd have to come in and sign his franchise tender. And, you know, he doesn't have to do that. They may have also told him, Hey man, you're our second biggest priority this off season. Yeah. Like you, like we, adore you. We want you back. The money, if you look at our cap right here, like if we're going to sign our number one priority, which you would also agree is Pat Mahomes. I mean, right. Every, I mean Jones is in yeah. no illusions that it's anywhere. Yeah, everybody knows that. Look, this is a, con- a complicated contract that we've got working with Pat. We have to make sure we have every dollar accounted for. And then once we do, we'll come to the table with you. We'll work something out. We'll get it done. So like it, they could just have to place the Pat piece of the puzzle before the Jones piece because they can't sign Jones to something huge and then come to Pat's camp and they're like hey you guys don't have enough money for this like right you know you can't blow the Pat deal that's the one deal you cannot blow yep I agree with that so we'll just kind of see how it plays out you know it's one of those things where it's a slow part of the offseason and we kind of just have to keep tabs on what we can keep tabs on hopefully it works itself out this was 
this was one of those weeks where like when I read that tweet, I was like, man, how can, <laughs> how can the world be any worse right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so 2020 does not let up. It really does not. Uh, but hopefully that'll get itself kind of sorted out. So we have a game to recap and these games are just, they're just starting to get more and more fun. Like mm-hmm. we hit that Tennessee game and from there, it just like every week, it kind of builds and builds. I mean, we're going to have to talk about us beating the crap out of the Bears, whatever. But like, Chiefs Patriots. It's all sunshine from here. <laughs> at Foxborough, December 8th. This was, I mean, at the time, certainly a highly anticipated game. But like, you know, this was this was the game of the year. This is the game of the year coming into the season for sure. Yeah. And it it lived up to the hype. It was a great game. It was, and and there's so much emotion involved with this rivalry. Um, obviously, having come off of the AFC Championship loss and the heart, the first loss of Pat Mahomes' career. I mean, the the Patriots, you know, they they were the bugaboo. They were the one that that the Chiefs had to get over that hump, and they were sitting there two games up on the Chiefs. They were ten and two. The Chiefs were eight and four. Um, and although they had started to show some some signs that things might not you know, be going the same place they normally did for the Patriots. Yeah. And still, you know, the Chiefs were on the rise. The Patriots were in decline. But to be the best, you got to beat the best. And the Chiefs went in there, not afraid, obviously. They they were able to beat them uh, in Foxborough two years prior. And it was uh, it was a great, great test for the Chiefs. They had, you know, gotten their sea legs back under them after a rocky situation there. And they were up to – eight and four and they were, you know, they came into this game with a lot of confidence and it's the only time that we've seen the chiefs play the Patriots where the first half was a good half, at least in the, in the Pat era. Yeah. And I mean, I think they came out hot because like you said, this is a game the chiefs absolutely had to have like there literally was so that the Patriots started off eight and zero, and then they came into this game, like you mentioned, 10 and two. So they had lost to the Ravens and they, they had just lost to the Texans the week before, but they were up two games on the chiefs with, you know, four to play after this game. And so for the chiefs to have a prayer of getting a bye, they, they had to win this game and then they had to win all the other games pretty much. Yeah. Right. Like they, right. because the Patriots after this game played the, Oh, there were only three games after this. There was the Bengals, the bills and the dolphins left on their schedule. Right. So the Chiefs knew coming into this game that their only prayer of getting a bye was to beat the Patriots in Foxborough. You know, they had already lost to them, obviously, in week five. The belly of the beast. The belly of the beast, 43 to 40. You know, then losing the game at Arrowhead in overtime because D4 couldn't line up on sides. <laughs> and you're right. They came out and they scored 20 points in the first half. And honestly, that that was even a little bit underwhelming considering how well they moved the ball and considering that Pat threw an interception considering that Pat hurt his hand almost immediately and, and couldn't, didn't have the same touch that we normally see on his ball. Yeah. He, he nicked it up on a sack Um, early on. He started this game. Oh, for four, which is the first time that he started a game over four with a pick. It's the first opening drive interception of his career. Um, Things were looking bad. And then they, they just, willed their way they just figured it out and you know the the Hardman play was a highlight play for sure where you know on uh Pat hits Hardman and he just he just 
gets past everybody, makes them look like they're wearing cement shoes. It was hilarious to see that speed. It's it, kind of the same, you know, it kind of looked like when Kareem Hunt ran all over him two years prior, where yeah. it looks like the Chiefs have a weapon that the Patriots don't have. And that's not even, you know, accounting for Tyreek Hill or Pat or anything. It's just it, that was a fun um, highlight. But in general, I thought that the Chiefs kept their composure. They kept, you know, their – there was a lot of adversity early. They gave up some third down penalties on the opening drive to the Ugh. Patriots. And then they hit a flea flicker touchdown yeah. and you just figure, you know, here we go. And then the chiefs go three and out and you think like, or no, not three and out two and a pick on their, on the chiefs first right. possession. So it was just same way with Kareem hunt fumbling his opening possession of his NFL career and looks like the Patriots are in for a laugher. Um, but you know, they, they kept at it and they ended up picking off Brady and they ended up just being the, the defense I thought was exceptional in this game. Um, the Patriots have a, a great rushing attack and they held them to 22 rushes for 94 yards. And then obviously only 200 yards passing. Uh, they sacked Brady three times. They got the pick on them. Um, they really were, I thought a complete unit here and they needed that to go into Foxborough and beat the champs. This was a great, this is a great game. You know, we've been talking about the defense and obviously if you watch, if you go back and watch any game from 2018, like obviously the difference is tremendous, but this is a great one because obviously like we can all see, unfortunately in our mind's eye, like it in my, my memory of the AFC championship game loss Mm -hmm. is still so clear and especially coming into this game before we won the Super Bowl, you know, like I, I could see Tom Brady throwing to a wide open Julian Edelman on third and 10, like in my dreams. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was Steve Spagnolo coming back, you know, 2007 Steve Spagnolo against Tom Brady and the new England juggernaut. Now, obviously not the same offense that he faced in the 2007 Super Bowl, you know, on, on route to sending the Patriots home 18 and one. But he really dialed up a lot of different looks in this game. The Chiefs really brought a lot of heat. We were just talking about Chris Jones. Chris Jones is a monster in this game. Frank Clark, uh, obviously, you know, he had the the big coming out party in Denver. But, like, this was this was the point where we were like, okay, Frank Clark is, like, a player. <laughs> yeah, he's he's here, and yeah. he's here to stay. And this was the week, this was the week, by the way, where Frank Clark was, like, super sick and lost yes. like 20 pounds before this yeah. game or something like that. This was also this was also the equipment week the equipment when they, week, we yes, almost had course. to forfeit the game. It's equipment gate. My god, that was <laughs> that was honestly we should have probably led with that. Yeah. But that was such a weird afternoon where like I just like before this win the the I'm not a person that gets a lot of anxiety. Uh, especially not when it comes to watching football games when Pat Mahomes is my quarterback. But like this game gave me hella anxiety before we even kicked off. Like that whole thing with the equipment was insane. I I, I mean, I I was freaking out if we're being honest. And then when we came in and threw a pick on the opening drive and they, they went down with a ridiculous, you know, flea flicker penalty drive for a touchdown, you know, just was like, that was triggering me on every level pretty much that I can be triggered uh, <laughs> football wise. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, we, we, we see this time and time again, but as, as always Patrick Mahomes is the truth 
and he stepped up and he just just pushed those fears away. He did. He did. He's a master at that. And this is also, you know, his second time going to Foxborough, his third time facing the Patriots. He, as you've talked about extensively, he, he just continues to intellectually level up every time he faces, specifically faces the Patriots. And this was just no, no different. He was banged up. He was facing a really, really difficult defensive scheme and defensive personnel. I mean, the Patriots, this defense Number one one defense by DVOA. Yeah, one of the best defenses of the last, you know, X number of years. They're they're extremely good. And he was put behind the eight ball. Um, I got to shout out Andy for the third and goal play, lining up Travis Kelsey at Wildcat and faking the handoff to Tyreek Hill and then then working his way in for the rushing touchdown. That was exceptional. even though Kelsey fumbled the ball later and even though there was a lot of adversity, Tom Brady had the ball to, to drive to tie the game. I mean, there was a lot of several times, you know, they, the Patriots, the last score in this game was with 1145 left in the fourth of yep. field goal to cut it to seven. And then from there, it was a, just a punch counter punch back and forth with the defenses and it yep. was hold hold. And it was just, um, you know, not the 43 to 40 loss of the year prior where Mahomes had to do everything in his power because he had no help on the other side. This was a, a championship style slug fight. And the, the way that the chiefs kept their cool after not blowing the lead because they were up 13 and one by seven, but after the Patriots come back in the second half, they block a chief's punt and they score two plays later to cut it to seven. And, you know, you just think that, okay, here, this is what the Patriots do. They, yep. they find a way, especially at home. Their last two home losses to AFC teams at that point were the Chiefs. I mean, it, the the way that the Patriots hold at home has been the pillar of their dynasty. That yep. has been the absolute thing that they could fall back on is home games, home playoff games, home regular season games, the the – the atmosphere at Foxborough and possibly maybe some other shady stuff going on that who knows, you know, how many, how many of those rumors are true, but the, the equipment, the, the, the equipment could have been them. It could have been, it could have been. Yeah. You know, like there's just a lot of, it absolutely could have been. People always talk about the radios cutting out and the, the playbooks accidentally getting picked up in the team hotels and all the different, you know, I mean, they've done everything they can to win. Everyone knows that about the Patriots, but the chiefs, saw the the finish line, you know, saw where they had to go, and they knew that the Patriots were in their way to get there. They were in their way, absolutely. Not only did they have to beat them here, but they were preparing to have to beat them in the playoffs. Obviously, right. that didn't break that way, but um, they Andy just is an intellectual equal to Bill Belichick, which is a very rare thing in football, and he clearly shows every time they match each other that it's it's not intimidating for Andy. What I love about this game is, you know, the when the Chiefs went to New England and lost in 2018, I think Mitch, either Mitch Holtis or BJ Kissel made this observation. I think it was Mitch after the game, which was, you know, if the Chiefs had gone to Foxborough in 2018 and played a perfect game and had lost by three points then they would have been kind of discouraged by that because, yeah. you know, like you, you gave them your best shot and still wasn't good enough. But the fact that they didn't play that well in that game and really played quite poorly in the first half of that game and then, yeah, they were down you know, ended up losing only because, 
you know, they, they didn't have the ball last. That's very encouraging. And then what was so encouraging about this game was not just the fact that the chiefs won, the chiefs didn't play their best game in this game. And, you know, when you could go to new England play in some ways, a pretty sloppy game. I mean, like not, not talk about those penalties. Yeah, not sloppy. I, I will get to the penalties. We'll get to the penalties. But you know, Mahomes was injured, and they the Chiefs really could not move the ball in the second half, really at all. And they still won the game. And honestly, you know, it ended up being close. I mean, it came down to the the final possession or the final play. But even even if the Patriots had gotten it into the end zone there, they still have to kick the extra point and the chiefs still have the opportunity potentially to go down and kick a game winning field goal with time left in regulation or overtime. So the fact that the chiefs came in and didn't play their best game and still beat the Patriots in Foxborough was tremendously telling. And I, I like, I wanted to circle back to what you were saying and we have to get into the penalties. We have to talk about the penalties, but I just wanted to, you know, like you're talking about this defense, right? And Mm -hmm. This Patriots defense was exceptionally smart and really well coached and very versatile and Belichick's, you know, wizard, but the, the big plays in this game are what kind of exposed the big difference between the chiefs and the Patriots. Like you mentioned how, how McCole looked, you know, when he, when he ran away from the Patriots defenders into the end zone and how he looked like Kareem or he looked like Tyreek on the game tying touchdown in 2018 where he goes up for it. Yes. It comes down twists and then he just runs away from him. Like what, what was extraordinary about that was like you, you just, and the Patriots talk about this. Belichick talks about this, you know, in interviews to the extent that he gives anything interesting in interviews, but like the chiefs beat the Patriots in some ways, just with like raw physical ability. Like Mm -hmm. your defense Mm -hmm. may be, expertly coached and it may be in the right place at the right time but when you have just absolute freak speed and freak athletes sometimes they're just going to beat you no matter how smart you play no matter how well you call your coverages sometimes you're just going to get I mean like as soon as he caught the ball like he was going to score there was nobody that was going to catch him he just he has so much burst and speed and it was the same way with Tyreek the same way with Kareem you know, like that, that's fun. That was, that was fun. It was, they, they, the chiefs matching up with the Patriots is something that I guess going into the Pat Mahomes era, I wasn't quite sure if that would excite me or not because of how terrifying that dynasty has been. But like, these are the games. These are the ones that, that get me the most hyped about the chiefs and the most you know, just emotional and excited. And I mean, the Patriots are it. And it, it is sad that this is the last yeah, they were it. Chiefs meeting with Tom Brady and the Patriots. Um, no matter what happens from this point forward, nothing, not even, you know, Chiefs versus Brady and the Bucks or Chiefs versus Stidham and the Patriots, nothing is going to match what this was. I mean, the, this, this was tons of fun since, you know, basically since Andy got here, since about 14. Um, and I'm, I'm going to miss that. For sure. Let's talk about these penalties because I, because something that I've noticed, Taylor, as we start to recap the stretch run where the Chiefs did not lose and did not lose until, well, they they still haven't they still haven't lost. No, uh, I was going to say again. until the Super Bowl, but they no. they won that too. So we're we're sitting pretty. But you know what's so funny about what 
we're about to go through. We just roasted Raiders fans last week for complaining about the refereeing in a game that they lost by 31 points. Right. Something that I've noticed, Taylor, is that when you beat teams, they really like to complain about the officiating. And boy, did we hear it from Patriots fans after this game. And to be fair, there were some iffy calls. Questionable calls. There were some iffy calls in this game. For instance, uh, when the Chiefs turned the ball over, the ref should not have blown that play dead. And it could have been a touchdown. I mean, you still have to outrun. You have to outrun Tyreek. Tyreek Hill. To the end zone, which is probably not going to happen. His own teammates can't even do that. And Damian (laughs) Williams, to be honest with you, probably ran a faster 40 than anybody on the Patriots. Yeah, if anyone could do it, it'd be Damian. Yeah. But but, he can't. But he can't. And he's on the same team as Tyreek anyway. (laughs) You got to, you got to outrun Tyreek to the end zone. So, you know, maybe you get into the end zone there if the, if the refs don't blow it dead. Guess what? You still had the opportunity to go down and score. Okay. So Nikhil Harry, he did not step out. And nope. the Patriots got a little bit screwed there because they burned their timeouts and they couldn't really challenge it. You now, know. didn't they challenge twice? They did. They challenged yes. once on the Kelsey fumble yep. and once on a Sammy Watkins first down that they lost yep. on the challenge. Yes. And when you blow your challenges yes. and then a play comes up later, like that's yeah. that's the rub. That's how yep. the NFL goes. That's how it goes. And you know, when you burn your challenges, you are trusting the referees to get it right every time. And we know that's not going to happen. It's the NFL. But even on that play, uh, number one, there was a penalty that wasn't called. Edelman totally threw an illegal block on that play, which should have backed it up. But even then, they kicked a field goal, Taylor. And Mm -hmm. that's three points. So if they got into the end zone, that would have been seven points. That's a difference of four points. The Chiefs won this game by seven points. Wait, let me write this down. Hold on. Let's just check the math out here. Guess what? If they had gotten a touchdown on that drive and you don't get two touchdowns on one drive, you either get the fumble return or you (laughs) get the Nikhil Harry touchdown. Yeah. You only get one of the two of those and it still ends up being a 20 to 20 or a 24 to 20 final score. Plus Taylor, let's talk about the penalties that were called in this game. Okay. You want to complain. You want to say, so the Patriots fans literally said that the refs handed us this game. I'm just going to read you the penalty yardage in this game, and you tell me what what your conclusions are. The Chiefs were called for 10 penalties for 136 penalty yards, and the (laughs) Patriots were called for five penalties for 25 yards. That is a difference of 111 yards on penalties alone. Okay, Significant. The Chiefs also turned the ball over twice in this game, and the Patriots only turned it over once. So maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't the refs. And and let's not forget that Austin Ryder, and I put this in air quotes, blindside block, <laughs> which was the oh worst God. penalty of the whole game on either side. Uh, I mean, it just... was an absolute, and, and Romo roasted him for it. And, I mean, that was – now, here's the difference. Here's the difference. Ryder gets called for a blindside block. It's now second and 25. How do the Chiefs respond? They hit McCole Harmon for a 48-yard touchdown. That's – that's what, and, and That's again, Romo hammered this point. He said, teams do not come back from second and 25. No. That, is a, that is a death knell for most offenses in the NFL. It certainly and is for the Patriots. It certainly is for everybody, but yes, including the Patriots. And the Chiefs, their, their superpower is converting those, those do-or-die situations with extreme success. And that was just another example where if the Chiefs didn't have the talent to overcome a penalty like that, 
we could have gone back. If the Chiefs lose this game by three, I'm seeing that blindside block call in my in my nightmares. I mean, that's oh, a, yeah. that's you mean a Edelman, horrible. Uh, or oh, you're talking about Ryder. Yeah, not Ryder. even not even uh, not even the Edelman non call. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's just a it's the way that you know losers complain about the refs, like you said. And yes, everyone understands that the referees are not perfect and that they screw up plays throughout the NFL or the throughout a game. That's just that's just something else you have to overcome. That's what that is. It's not a excuse. It's just, it's like saying, Oh, my opponent played really well. And that's why I lost. Like, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta suck it up. And fortunately this was, uh, this was just such a cathartic win. They, they clinched the West with this win. Yeah. This was uh, the Raiders blew back a to back lead to back. To the, Back to back to back. Um, they the Raiders blew a lead to the Titans. Or back to back to uh, back to back. To four. Yeah, I was yep. gonna say, yeah, that was 16, 17, 18, 19. And uh I mean it it was a very, you know, the West is not enough was the was the slogan on the shirts. And that was turned out to be true. <laughs> but uh it was just the mindset of like, yeah, man, we just barely lost in overtime in the AFC Championship game last year. Like, I know we just won the West, and that's great. But we've done that for the last four years. Like, we've got our sights set higher than that, and that site includes dethroning the you know previously eight and zero six time Super Bowl champs in their house with all the adversity. Like, it just this team just had so much maturity to them. It, it's it was, it's honestly crazy. It's fun to go back game by game to like really sit back and appreciate Soak what what this team overcame because it really yeah. it really is crazy it really yeah is they crazy. went from six and four here to nine and four i mean you know six and four earlier and then and losing their mvp quarterback and all the craziness that went on there to now they cut the patriots lead on the two seed you know they were nine and four the patriots were now ten and three they still you know we were hoping for a bill's loss obviously we would um, not get that and think that we were stuck with the three seed until the Miracle yeah. will recap in week 17. But it was just, it was just so fun. These, these types of wins make it all, make it all worth it. I mean, make all the anguish and all the heartbreak of losing seasons and, and sucky quarterbacks and all that stuff. When you pay it off with games like this, it just reminds you why you're a fan. Yeah. So we should talk about the final, the final minutes of this game, because I just want to, on the flip side, uh, I just want to, you know, sort of step into the mind of a Patriots fan that yeah. went to this game because, and, and, and then to the Miami game, which was also at home. And then the Tennessee game, which was also at home. Woof. Like uh, I just like what's amazing about all three of those games uh, and just, if you want to feel good about being a Chiefs fan, step into the mind of Patriots fan. We'll call him Tom. Patriots <laughs> fan Tom has come to the game, and his team's won six Super Bowls. And his whole life, literally his whole life, he's been told, uh, this is where Tom Brady makes his move. You know, the Patriots, you know, it all comes down Game's to over. this. Game's over. You know, he's going to – Tommy's going to pull it off. <laughs> and this game – it comes down to a fourth down, fourth and goal pass to the end zone that Bashad Breland makes a great play on tips. Great away. play. And then possibly defensive play of the year. I mean, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And we talked about when we drafted our non-pat plays of the year. I mean, the implications of that one single play, you know, 
on the one seed or on the, the two seed, the bye, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, the whole our lives. <laughs> but but you came to this game, you watched the Patriots drive down fourth and goal. You're thinking, Tommy's gonna pull it off, the Patriots are gonna win. And then he didn't pull it off. Oh. And then you're no, back in New England for week 17 against the Dolphins <laughs> with the two seed on the line. You know, all you got to do is, and Tommy does pull it off. He goes down, he gets a go-ahead score, and you're thinking, well, great. Now we just have the number one defense in the NFL. All we have to do is stop Ryan against Fitzpatrick. the Dolphins. Yeah. Keep Ryan Fitzpatrick out of the end zone. Can't uh, do that. No. Nope. And then the week after that on wild card weekend, when you're playing for the first time on wild card weekend in like 10 years. Yep. You're down a point, I think, wasn't it? Fourteen to thirteen. Yeah. And Tom Brady's got the ball and he throws a pick six. Yep. And that's the last hate pass to see it. you will ever see him throw. Tom Patriots fan in a <laughs> Patriots uniform. It's just like three, three losses in the last month of the season. And by the way, this was this was also right around the time. I don't remember if this was right before or right after. But when Julian Edelman posted that stupid thing, I think he posted it after this game where he said they're like a December team or something like that or whatever yeah. it was, you know, like, yeah. it's like, okay, count us out. I <laughs> dare right, yeah. you. And, yeah. And they were doing their usual, like, yo, yeah. nobody believes in us, you know, right. like we're still here, et cetera. Like all their stupid slogans and whatever, whatever you lost. We won. Get over it. We're the new dynasty. Suck at Patriots fans. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. So we're going to close this out with, uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep rolling because who doesn't love dumping on the Patriots? It's and a great week for it. We asked for submissions for so we haven't done a roast in a while. If you're new to the podcast, go back and check out our roast episodes. <laughs> Taylor uh, very graciously turned our very first episode where we did a John Elway roast into its own episode. So you can go back to the page. You can just click on the gang roast John Elway. You should listen to the whole episode, but the roast you can just get that in its own segment digestible form yeah we also roasted Derek Carr who <laughs> frankly we could probably roast again I mean he's getting a little Raiders fans are, they're kind of starting to rise up again so maybe we'll have to put him down again but you go check that out as well this has been a while it's been a while since we've done a roast but the idea behind this is we're going to take you know something that Chiefs fans hate and we're going to roast it and so <laughs> we got a lot of requests for the Patriots and we got a lot of requests for Bill Belichick and those of you who know me, who follow me on Twitter, like I'm actually like a huge fan of Bill Belichick. I think he's amazing. He's the greatest coach of all time. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I understand that he has cheated and that he's definitely extremely shady, but he's also an incredible genius. <laughs> and I would never roast him because I secretly love him. You know who he's like? He's like Barry Bonds. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He's I mean, kind of like, yeah, he's got, he's got a, he's got a dark, you know, kind of. Purists you know, have that thing me. that, oh, you know, he cheated, but yeah, like, but also, also he's like, the greatest that's ever done. Yeah. You just can't argue with the results, right? Like you just can't. So what we did instead, <laughs> somebody suggested Eric Mancini mm. and that gave us an idea to just maybe like expand to the whole Belichick coaching tree so we're we'll go through you know we we picked out some guys to dump on it's not going to be you know we're not going to spend 20 minutes on each guy we could and we might <laughs> and we probably will but we're going to try to keep it we're going to try to keep it short but we're going to go through so we started off with nick saban i i was given the the job of roasting nick saban and i'm just going to tell you my heart's not in it uh nick saban 
is if people people dump on Nick Saban like the criticism you know like Alabama's beaten the hell out of everybody in college football obviously for as long as Nick Saban has been there and so people like to you know joke that Nick Saban you know can't coach and he had to come to Alabama and now he's got you know an NFL team every year which he does because mm-hmm. he's great at recruiting but I do want to say Nick Saban, underrated NFL coach, 469 winning percentage in his two seasons as a head coach. He took over a 4-12 and Miami team and went 9-7 and the following year. His quarterback, by the way, one of his quarterbacks was Sage Rosenfels. <laughs> so, you know, that, legendary. Gave, yeah, that gives you an idea of kind of what he was dealing with there. And then he went 6-10. and But then he got fired after going nine and seven, six and 10. And the very next year, the Dolphins went 1-15. and Okay, so... Nick Saban could coach. All right. He, he's actually, he's not super roastable. Now, is he the most likable person? No, he's not. Uh, but he actually, unlike some of these guys that we're about to get into, buckle up. You think a 469 winning percentage is bad? That's actually very good for these people in the Bill Belichick coaching tree. All right. Taylor, who do you got? On your list? <laughs> so there are, um, there are a couple of guys on the, Belichick, and I don't even really want to call it a coaching tree. It's more like a coaching shrivel. Yeah, it's like a shrub. Yeah, coaching shrub. It's coaching shrub. And uh, the easiest one to roast for me is Josh McDaniels. Um, Yes, let's do it. So this This is this is a double because he was a Broncos coach. Like this is actually. I mean, this is so roastable. mm, Chef's kiss. Yeah, exactly. So Josh McDaniels was dragging behind Bill Belichick's coattails forever finally gets a shot in Denver and Denver hires him. They think, you know, Oh, he's going to take Kyle Orton and the Denver Broncos to fame and stardom. And this idiot goes eight and eight in his first year and then three and nine and gets fired in his second year. So that's week 13. He doesn't even make it to the end oh, of the second year. Make it to two in full Denver. seasons. And you know who made it two full seasons in Denver? <laughs> Vince McDonald. Boom. Roasted. <laughs> <laughs> and outside of that brief stay, he, he had a brief stay in St. Louis where after I don't even remember Denver, that. So after Denver, he becomes the offensive coordinator for the Rams the following year. And the only two numbers I need to give you here are total yards and total points for his offense, the Rams. Hit 31st me. in total yards, 32nd in total points. That's not great. So he was the worst offensive mind in football that year. He runs back into Bilicek's shadow, and he, like Tom Brady, has benefited tremendously from the master class on the defensive side of the ball that Belichick puts out every year. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. His offense is always tasked with just holding onto a lead and just, you know, just doing dumb. He just doesn't have to do much. And of course, then in 2018, he promised the Colts that he would be their head coach. He, he said, yep, I'm, I'm your guy. Don't, you know, keep the seat warm for me. And then someone in the Patriots organization was like, hey, Josh, we're probably going to just like hire you when Belichick eventually retires, but you need to like be here the whole time. You can't go to the Colts and then come back here. So he mm. was like, all right, screw the Colts. I'm not going to, I'm not, he, he reneged on it just like Belichick before him who was going to be the Jets coach and then decided yeah, to classic classic yeah, move. that's just how yeah exactly so he comes back to the Patriots screw this guy he sucks he's a he's a douchebag he looks like he would be annoying and I he's easy can zero. we can we talk about the fact that he traded up for Tim Tebow because that, that was a thing that happened yes, uh, it did. 
when he when he reneged on the coach uh, the Colts job, that's kind of like when you were describing that scene. I was picturing the scene from Wolf of Wall Street, but like not as cool. Where you know he's like, "I'm not fucking leaving." Yeah, but yeah, but right. lame, like not cool because he's a dweeb. Everyone was like, uh, "Can you leave?" <laughs> yeah, just like, are are you sure you, yeah. you can go? It's yeah. fine. Just take off. He's uh. He does. Boom, roasted. So I've got, I've got Eric Mangini. Oh, man, buckle he's an up, easy target. Buckle up. Uh, Eric Mangini is a target because of all the stupid stuff he says on Nick Wright's show. The guy is. We're going on nine years now since he last had a head coaching job, and five years since he last had an assistant coaching job. Jeez, why and do we even care what he says on that show? We don't. He doesn't even have his own show. He is like, he's like the guy that they bring in for Nick Wright to roast on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, he's right. literally only there to he's, get dominated. He's the Washington Sentinels. Yeah, he is by, by Nick Wright, and we all are very familiar with this Patrick Mahomes takes. I'm not going to denigrate this podcast by repeating any of the things that he said i would edit it out anyway you all know you all know what he said and obviously it's ridiculous and it just goes to show what a what a pea brain he has for his football mind but eric mangini started off (laughs) this is great so whereas josh mcdaniels i mean a lot of these guys have you know some background in football i'm sure he played football he went to wesleyan which is where belichick went to so i think that's kind of where this all started but he started off as a ball boy for the Browns. Mm-hmm. So he was a 20-something ball boy, which, like, okay. Nerd. So then Belichick promoted him to be a PR intern. And then after that, he became an offensive assistant. So he learned literally everything, literally everything that Eric Mangini knows about football. Like, what is a football? He yeah. learned from Bill Belichick, right? <laughs> And he only ever coached on former Bill Belichick teams, which is hilarious. The Jets, which technically, I maybe mean, Bill Belichick was the coach of the Jets for a day, mm-hmm. but the Jets and the Browns, you thought that Nick Saban's 469 nice winning percentage was bad. Well, <laughs> Eric Mangini's winning percentage is 413. Oh, no. And that's not even the worst one on this list, but it's still bad. 33 and 47. One playoff appearance in his very first year as a head coach. He went 10 and 6 with the Jets, and he lost to the Patriots, 37 to 16, all right? Hmm. Eric Mangini is so worthless, Taylor, that after he got fired from the Browns in 2011, he has had precisely one NFL job since then. In nine years, Hmm. he was a defensive coordinator, and he had a host of other titles. It was sort of like he was the ball boy for the Niners (laughs) in 2015, and then somehow by the end of the year, he ended up being the defensive coordinator, which I'm not exactly sure. I read this on Wikipedia, but I still am not sure exactly how it happened. Is he but like he, Ruben Amaro who went from GM to first base coach? Yeah, basically Ruben Amaro. <laughs> yeah, he, he totally Ruben Amaro did. He like went from head coach to first base coach <laughs> to defensive coordinator to fired and getting roasted by Nick Wright on the reg. Daily. He's basically like, so if there's like a player comp for Eric Mangini, but between, you know, players and coaches, he's like basically the David Carr of former Patriots assistants, right? Like his NFL career, his NFL career sucked. It was a total joke. Horrible. And now his sole purpose in life is to talk about how great everybody around him was like all he can do. (laughs) All he can do is talk about the Patriot way, the Patriot way, Bill Belichick's a genius, which he is. Uh, But no thanks to Bill, Mangini. Bill Belichick hates Eric Mangini and <laughs> yeah. like clearly knows that the guy is a dumbass. To be honest with you, 
I kind of think that this, I, I just am realizing as I'm speaking that this Eric Mangini thing was just a long con the whole time. Like Bill Belichick's like, Hey, I'm going to try and like teach this ball boy football. He's going to get hired as the coach of the jets. And I'm going to beat his ass for three years until the jets fire him. And then he's going to go to the Browns who are also in the FC. And I'm going to beat his ass there. Like this was, Man, there are a lot of long cons by Bill Belichick. This Eric Mangini is his greatest long con, right? Like he's like, what if, what can I do to get a ball boy hired as a head coach of a division rival? (laughs) And he did it. That's why Belichick is the goat. He is. Do you remember when uh, Mangini was fired and Belichick actually changed the locks on the offices at Gillette Stadium? Yeah. So so he couldn't even get back in to retrieve his, his stuff? He's cold-blooded, man, and he is cold-blooded. that's why Belichick is awesome and Eric Mangini sucks. Who's the next guy on your list? <laughs> so the next guy on my list is so bad at coaching that he his NFL coaching record is actually zero and zero. As a coach. <laughs> so we are talking about one Mr. Charlie Weiss. All who, right, yes, uh, great. Has two local ties to both Kansas City and Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, so he was with. Belichick briefly in 1990 on the Giants and then Belichick kind of moved on for a little bit and he joined his staff again in 96 and was with him on the Jets and Patriots uh, as offensive coordinator. 2004, which was his last year with New England, was actually his first good year offensive coordinating New England. He was fourth in scoring and seventh in total yards, which were both his best during his time with the Patriots. So he, he peaked. And he peaked hard and he peaked early. And then he parlayed that into the Notre Dame head coaching gig. Where uh, yes, he pretty much peed down his leg. Uh, he went his first two years, he was 19 and six, but he lost two big time bowl games and got crushed. In them. He lost like 41, 14 to LSU. And he, he was big, big game. Charlie was terrible. And then he followed that up by not even being good in the regular season and went 16 and 21 over his next three years and was canned. So he was then hired to be the offensive coordinator for the 2010 chief triots for back of, lack of a better term. Scott yeah, Pioli was Scott trying Pioli. to recreate that new England magic, but he didn't have the most important piece, Bill Belichick, but he brought in Matt Castle and Romeo Cornell and who I'll get to in a second. Mike Vrabel. And Mike Vrabel and Eric, Man- I mean, uh, uh, I almost said Eric Mangini uh, and obviously <laughs> Charlie Weiss. I mean, so he was trying to get the band back together, but they were all the crappy members of the band. Yeah, And they didn't, now they did have this, this 2010 chiefs team was probably the best non Belichick accomplishment for both Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell. They went 10 and six with no playoff victory. So if 10 and six with no playoffs is the feather in your cap, then you're, uh, you're still not yeah. very good. Your but cap is made out of feces. crappy feathers. <laughs> and after losing a playoff game by only scoring seven points against the Ravens as the offensive coordinator, Charlie Weiss parlayed his NFL offensive coordinator coaching gig into becoming the Florida Gators offensive coordinator. So <laughs> yeah, great. So Real he went there. from the NFL offensive coordinator to going down to college and not even getting a head coaching gig down there. He was only there for a year and he quit and joined KU. So he comes to Kansas. He's got this five-star recruit, Dane Christ. He sucks. He's terrible. He's got another five-star recruit, Jake Heaps, who he transfer, got him to transfer over. He sucks. He's terrible. He goes 6-22. and 22. KU literally pays him to go away after the 2014 season. They continue to pay him two years after his KU tenure is up just to not coach them, literally yeah. just to go away. And that was his last coaching opportunity to date. Uh, Charlie Weiss sucks. He was always – 
uh, really kind of he kind of had the Belichick attitude towards the media, but without any of the the reason, any of the winning, any of the like reason people tolerated it. He would give non answers and be all just he sucks. He sucks. sucks. He sucks. Boom roasted. Uh, I have Matt Patricia. Nice. Who you may know was the pencil for a laminated sheet, which I guess we can start there. Like the sheets laminated. (laughs) How are you going to write on it with a pencil? That doesn't make any sense. So unless he's John Wick, which we know he's not, like there's no use for him to have a pencil. I remember him saying something about he doesn't, he he likes the look. He doesn't write with it. It's like he like wears it as like a fashion statement. He's an idiot. All right. So Matt Patricia, you may know, is like a rocket scientist. They talk about it all the time on mm-hmm. your television broadcasts. It's a, it's one of their favorite little broadcast memes. Uh, he also was a credibly accused rapist, which Yikes. came out when he was uh, interviewing for the Detroit Lions job. And shout out to the Lions for putting out one of the cringiest press releases I can ever remember, <laughs> which was that they were aware of it and they looked yeah. into it and it didn't happen. But if it did happen, he was in college and he was on spring break. So like, Ooh. You know, if it Ooh. did happen, it's cool. Like here's the context of this thing that didn't happen, but you know, like we're saying sexual assault that totally didn't happen is okay. As long as you're on spring break and you know, you're in your twenties, whatever it, it was, that is brutal. It, was, it was a bad look, but it wasn't as bad of a look as, his defense the previous year. So Matt Patricia presided over the Patriots defense for quite some time. He's another one of those guys that sort of came up through the Belichick ranks. He coached defense, he coached offense, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure there's a great deal of switching back and forth. (laughs) And so he became the Patriots, you know, defensive play caller. Now we'll probably never get a peek behind the iron curtain completely as to like what that really means to be the Patriots defensive play caller. We all know that Bill Belichick really runs the Patriots defense and Matt Patricia, when he was hired by, so Matt Patricia was in the hunt for the lion's job and the giant's job. And when you think about two of the most moribund franchises, you know, the giants, they, they certainly have a history, a past. Uh, they are four and one in the Super Bowl. Although, don't they have a zero zero point differential? Didn't we decide that they, the other day? They, fun, they did. fun fact about the Giants: four and yeah. one in the Super Bowl, despite not outscoring their opponents in the Super Bowl. Uh, Matt Patricia's last tenure, his last year in New England, he presided over a defense that ranked thirty first in DVOA, mm. and then gave up forty one points and five hundred thirty eight total yards to Nick Foles in the Super Bowl going 10 of 16 on third down and two of two on fourth down. Didn't really ever get a stop on Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. Big Dick Nick allowing a, you know, a record. Now the Patriots had a hand in this as well, but that game uh, set a record for most total yards in a game. The backup quarterback for the Eagles dropped 538 yards on him, (laughs) 41 points on him. Philly special. The Lions said, Hmm. Okay. Let's, let's bring this guy in. We're interested. Then they uh, got into the interview room, and I guess they found out that he was once indicted for sexual assault, and they were like, hmm, this seems like our guy. And all he's done since is win at a winning percentage clip. Now, we said, you said 469. You said Nick Saban, that guy was a terrible NFL head coach. Okay, 469 winning percentage, that sucks. And then we hit Eric Mangini in his 413. You're like, man, that's terrible. How low can you go? And then we hit Josh McDaniels in his 393. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> Matt Patricia's NFL winning percentage is 297. Oh, no. So we're just spiraling down into a drain at the bottom of the toilet here. That's Matt Patricia boom roasted. Yikes. That's, that's rough. It's so bad. it's not good. It doesn't get better. Let me, let me tell you that. Um, I mentioned this guy earlier, Romeo Cornell, a lot of chiefs fans, former chiefs head coach. A lot of people have memories of Romeo. Um, his days with Belichick. I do have, I do have memories. Yeah, there are memories. There are certainly memories. Um, you know, trauma tends to do that, tends to burn into your brain. Uh, and these are nothing but traumatic memories for chiefs fans. Uh, Romeo's days with Belichick go back to 1981. So a long time. He was a member of that Bill Parcells staff with Belichick on the Giants. And then when Bill took that Cleveland job in 90, uh, they didn't link back up again until 96 when um, Romeo kind of came back onto that, uh, onto that coaching staff. And he went, he, he eventually took a Browns head coaching gig in 2005. So he followed the same path that all these guys seem to follow, which is, you know, latch onto Bill for a while and then try and coach the Browns or the Jets. And, yeah, the Browns or the Jets. And be really bad at it. So he went 24 and 40 before being fired oh. from, the, from the Browns, which, mm. you know, they're the Browns. So, like, actually, I read 24 and 40 and I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not good. It's not good at all. Um, and, <laughs> Still one of the best Browns head coaches of the last 20 exactly, years. Exactly. Yes, right? which yeah. is an extremely low bar. Uh, and then, as mentioned earlier, he got the defensive coordinator gig in KC for the Chief Triots. And after Todd Haley was let go, he was promoted, he took over, and it was just not good, man. It was not good in any way. He went 2-14 in 2012. He oversaw what is probably the pretty easily the worst season in Chiefs history. Um, obviously hey, not. we did not beat hit. the Packers, though. We did beat the Packers that year, who were undefeated, but... Um, Obviously, he didn't have anything to do with this, but he was in charge during the Jovan Belcher uh, suicide, you know, yeah, murder suicide. suicide. Yeah. Um, the Chiefs cleaned house. They brought in Andy, and the rest was history there. Romeo's final two years with Bill were good defensive seasons, finishing seventh and ninth in total yards and first and second in total points allowed. He was good, his final two years with Bill. And then he went to the Browns and here are his yards allowed ranks with the Browns and the chiefs. Oh, so that was good. the next nine seasons after the Patriots, he ranked 16th, 27th, 30th, 26th, 14th, 11th, 20th, and 20th. So That's his average great. there in yards allowed was 17th. And then here's the same years for points allowed 11th, 22nd, 21st, 16th, 12th, 12th, 25th, 25th, averaging uh, 19th in points allowed. Uh, so uh, some defensive mastermind Romeo was, I mean, he was, you know, clearly everything was all sunshine and roses when you got Bill Belichick there. And then the moment he was thrust out onto his own, he just, he fell flat. He was recently, I haven't even gotten into his Houston days, but it's not even really worth mentioning. He was fired from Houston. We oh, were all we're there gonna to talk about why. Houston next anyway. So, I mean, Perfect. you know. Yeah, so that's a good, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Uh, Romeo was a good dude. He just was not a good coach. Roasted. So we're going to end with, ironically, well, we, what's so funny about this is, so Romeo's winning percentage in the NFL as an NFL head coach, 337. So Matt Patricia's is the lowest. And then Romeo down there at 337, the coach of the Woeful Browns, he's second. 
what's amazing about this last character that we're going to roast <laughs> is that he is the most successful head coach on the Bill Belichick coaching shrub, and that is Bill O'Brien. Ooh, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien has a career record with the head, as a head coach of the Houston Texans of 52 and 44, which is good for a 542 winning percentage, which compared to all those other guys that we've been talking about is Belichick-esque. Yeah. Uh, however, he is two and four in the playoffs. He's never won more than 11 games in a season. He has one 11 win season, one 10 win season, three, nine and seven seasons and one four and 12 season. Now he wins his division a lot because his division is like the AFC East, a right. total joke. So he, he got a little bit of the Belichick. That's a good formula. To he copy. got a little bit of the Belichick shine on him. Like, you know, like yeah. I'm going to go dominate a weak division, except unlike Belichick, he didn't dominate it. He no. barely won it a bunch of times and then lost in the first round of the playoffs a bunch of times, never been to. So this is funny. Since Bill O'Brien has been hired as the head coach of the Houston Texans, the Texans have finished first in their division. Let's see. uh, Four times. Four times in six seasons. Pretty good. They also have a second place and a third place finish. However, in the six years that Bill O'Brien has been coaching the Houston Texans, the Texans are the only team in their division not to make an AFC championship game. The Jags have done it. The mm. Titans have done it. The Colts have done it. And the Texans have not. Scooby-Doo did it. Scooby-Doo did it. The, the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters did, it. did it. But Bill O'Brien has not done it. He just gets his team to the playoffs and immediately loses. This is a man that blew a 24 to nothing lead to the Chiefs. This is a man that traded his – he traded DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> well, okay. but at least he got a huge return for him, right? Yeah, a huge return. A huge return. Wait, wait, Taylor, I'm getting I'm getting something. He he got he got David Johnson, who was good like five years ago. Yeah, what a, year is it? <laughs> and a second round pick. That that doesn't seem very good. Oh no. Well DeAndre Hopkins is like the first, second, or third best wide receiver in the NFL, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely up there. He's definitely up there. Huh. That seems really lopsided and dumb. Yeah, it does. It sure does. It well, sure does. What did, shouldn't his GM have vetoed that trade so that he uh, didn't do that? Yeah, he should have. But they're the same. They're the same dude. Same dude, no. right? Same dude. One of them isn't even a dude. One of them's not even a dude. One of them is Bill O'Brien, the GM, and one of them is Bill O'Brien, the coach, and they're the same guy. Man, that is impossible. It is impossible. You know what else is impossible as I'm checking out the Houston Texans franchise page? Do you know who their all-time passing leader is? Now, they're not a very old franchise. Oh, no, the Texans. The Texans. Um, David Carr? (laughs) No, it's Matt Schaub. Schaub, nice. Yeah, I should have guessed him. (laughs) Um, So, pretty hilarious franchise there. But regardless of the fact that Bill O'Brien hasn't had the best supporting cast necessarily to work with, uh, he is a joke. He's not very good. He's a he's a much better head coach than he is GM, and he's not a very good <laughs> head coach, no. which does not bode well for the GM side. And here he is. You know, they just made the decision recently not to hire a GM. You know, the owner of that team was like, you know what? Sign me up for more of this, Bill O'Brien. You want you want to own the team? You know, like you want to you want to just you want to take care of all of it? You know, run the stadium you know, hire everybody, fire everybody, whatever you want to do, you want to do that. And, and of course, Bill O'Brien, he would say, yeah, he'd say, yeah, he'd be like, hell yeah. 
He 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 in his own mind he thinks he's the best coach. He would say, dude, you are going to love it. <laughs> uh he's just such a joke. He's the he's the number one joke in the NFL. He is. He's the the easiest laughing stock. Um he's just very, very his his football decisions have been so obviously poor that even the most casual observer would look at his his various moves. You know, he brings in Laramie Tunsil from Miami, pays an absolute fortune for him, and he he blows the negotiation, the contract negotiation. Now it yeah, comes they up don't at the extend end of the year. They don't extend him. So Laramie Tunsil's sitting there going, uh, you guys know that like you just paid two first round picks for me, right? You know that like if you don't extend me, I have all of the power here. And Bill's like, no, I have all the power because I'm the coach and the GM. I'm I mean, the coach and the GM, dummy. He's just – he's a complete meathead. He's a complete meathead. That's and a great way to describe him. He – you know, he took over after the Joe Paterno situation in Penn State. That was his – between the Patriots and the Texans, that was what he got up to. And it it, it just seems like he – felt like he was God's gift to football because he, you know, got this handed this sweet gig by the Patriots. They won a bunch while he was there, even though he didn't, wasn't involved. He was the, uh, the wide receivers coach and the quarterbacks coach while he was in new England and then was the OC for one year and Penn state hired him. So he just, and he took over for, you know, in a complete disaster in Penn state only lasted two years there and then comes to Houston. So he just, uh, he doesn't really have any idea what he's doing. He kind of lucked into some talent with J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson and some of that. You know, like he's got some decent pieces in Houston. He just has no idea what to do with them, and they all hate him. I I think I might have figured it out, Taylor. So you you were mentioning the the Penn State situation, and you know it's pretty easy to look good at your job when you are replacing a disgrace yeah. enabler <laughs> of child rapists. <laughs> When you come in and the, yeah, the previous when you come in and the previous head coach has resigned in disgrace because his linebackers coach was repeatedly raping children for years and years and you knew about it, that's gonna be a pretty favorable I mean that that is a low bar to clear. It almost doesn't even really matter what you do on the football field as long as you don't rape children. <laughs> and he managed to do that, so kudos. And then he he managed to take over a Texans team that had been coached by the uh, duo of Gary Kubiak and Wade Phillips that had just finished two and 14. Mm. So he came in and he's like, all right, I can turn this around. He had Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay. He went nine and seven and the rest is history. He's just move been in after completion. Yeah. And move in after completion. He's just been coasting ever since that's, the Bill O'Brien way. Man, that coaching shrub is, uh, it's, it's pretty poor. When Bill O'Brien is the brightest flower in your coaching shrub, it's not a good shrub. We'll see you guys next week.